Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Avatar Legend of the Last Retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Matt Garingo. For a second there, I thought you mispronounced your own name. No, 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 no. I was like, your last name's not Crespo. And then I'm like, wait, yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's it's because there's a lot in our minds yeah. in the real world and in this television series. We've only been... We've only been doing the show for like four years now, I think. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you f- fucked that up, but whatever, know. whatever. It just didn't sound right. There, you ever have someone, There's just a lot. You know when you're like in the doctor's office and they rate, where they say your name to like go back and it like takes you half a second? Do you ever have that? No, you know why? Because I was one of those kids in school who was always like, okay, they're going to say my name. I have to like mentally prepare myself to say here, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, I, I was always very astute. I've never been comfortable in a doctor's office, and it has nothing to do with the life-threatening illnesses. Yeah. yeah but even it's just my anxiety. I'm usually ready, but it's also, like, sometimes you go to those offices where the nurses mumble a lot. Oh, so yeah. they're yeah. like, they'll get up there and be like, Mr. And then you look around, it's like, that kind of sounded like me, but I got to look for a minute to make sure no one else stands up. <laughs> yeah, like I, I took my grandpa to the doctor's one time, and like he's he's pretty hard of hearing in his old age. And mm. then I heard the nurse call out for him, and I was like, if I had trouble hearing that, like, <laughs> good thing I'm here. Like, good lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, on uh, today's episode, we're going over the next one, two, three, four, five. Oh, this just this is just five episodes because the Boiling Rock is assembled into a single episode on Netflix. Um, we're talking about the Western Air Temple, the Fire Bending Masters, the Boiling Rock, the Southern Raiders, and the Ember Island Players. Now, many of these are fan favorite episodes, and that's probably because Zuko's finally on Team Avatar. Everyone's favorite but boy, sad boy it... <laughs> finally wises the fuck up. And yeah. Up, so, um, but it it does not go swimmingly at first, and honestly, kind of takes the entirety of these episodes for everyone to start getting along with him. Yeah. And that makes sense because he did try to kill them on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah. You know, it takes, you know, that's very understandable, frankly. <laughs> In fact, they're a bit over generous, but I got to say something. Uh, the naming conventions of the episodes are a little confusing. <laughs> Because, like, sometimes you'll get these two parters where they'll each have their own individual name, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's, like, then Boiling Rock Part 1 and Boiling Rock Part 2. There's just, there's no consistency. Maybe they just didn't have anything else to add. It was just like, yeah, this is all about the Boiling Rock. Yeah, I There guess. you go. Because, like, well, well, you know, the series finale, which we're not talking about today, it, that will be the final episode of the Last Airbender portion of this retrospective, um, that has, like, four separate subtitles. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's got, uh... I, I see why you're bringing that up. I just think the Boiling Rock is, like, you, you don't need a subtitle for the part two of that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, they're still there. There's, it's it's the Boiling Rock. It's a prison break episode. Wow, and I'm looking, and I didn't realize this, but the, all the episodes we're about to talk about today, we actually did this perfectly, because the Day of Black Sun was November 30th, 2007, and then the next episodes didn't air until July 2008, and they all aired That's... in the same week leading up to Sozin's Comet. 
Wow, that's like brutal. Um, I don't remember watching them like that, but maybe that's just my memory going away. Well, yeah, um, same. I but, you but know, wow, now it, it makes sense. Like I think what I was doing was, oh man, I don't remember watching this, but I do remember watching it on Netflix because I remember watching them all like right in a row. But now that I'm <laughs> thinking about, it, I was like, oh no, maybe I was watching it when it happened. It was just every day of the week. Um, but 2008, that's like the year where uh you know that was like uh, the year i kind of stopped with a lot of like that's like i think like my first year of high school like had just come to an end and so like that was when i'm like i'm a man now you know yeah i i also remember that time period of my life also what an idiot oh wow hold on a second oh man this nuts you know what came out the same weekend as sozin's comet Iron Man. No, no, wait, wait, wait. The Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Dark Knight, you were close. I was about to be like, you're close, but it was the Dark Knight. So yeah, talk about like a big shift in my life at that point. (laughs) That was a big deal, that movie. So the day before Sozin Comet airs, the Dark Knight premieres in the United States. That's nuts. Huh. So the day the Ember Island players premiered (laughs) is the day I went to see Dark Knight. What a contrast in, like, tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, again, where it's like, you know, not to be... When you're in high school, you suddenly think you have to grow up real quick. And, yeah. And, you know, you think, like, kind of like Zuko, where you're like, I'm good now. It's like, I'm a man now. And now I don't <laughs> I do not do childish things. So it must have been a hell of a week. Because I remember walking out of the dark night being like, man, that movie was hardcore. <laughs> like... <laughs> and now you like watch it and you're like well you know it's a fun movie but it's still a yeah. movie starring a guy named batman <laughs> yeah yeah you know there's only so far you can go yeah fighting a with dude in, that. in clown makeup <laughs> but yeah that was a that's a big shift in my life is this stretch i guess wow that's that's eye-opening honestly uh i i guess to, to go back to the Zuko thing really quick, how he's like, you know, like, all right, I'm good now. I'm a good guy. I thought I was good before, but now I really am good. <laughs> and um, one of the many strengths of the series is that when characters, like, when they follow through on an action, it's ne- it's very rarely just like, all right, that that's the thing that happened and that's good now. Let's move on together. Usually, there's a lot of, like, struggle <laughs> To, yeah. to grow from certain things, you know, like Aang's having to struggle to learn earthbending like all the way through this point in the series, basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I th- I forget if it's in these episodes or like the Sozin's comment, but Toph even says like, you know, your tech, like really your, your earthbending could still use a little work. Like yeah. you're the avatar, but uh, you're, you're not perfect, mm-hmm. you know? And then, of course, the emotional stuff, like, you know, last episode we talked about the the runaway, which is Toph and Katara just, like, kind of working through their, like, emotional ambivalence towards each other. They obviously care about each other, but there's stuff that that's constantly going to need to be worked on in their relationship yes. because of their personalities. Yes. And sorry. No, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no. Um, I was just going to say that. Oh, God, I was going to say something. Fuck. Uh. Oh, no, you're right. You're exactly right about the show um, doing that where someone will be like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change now. But then it doesn't um, like we don't get that immediate gratification. 
And it, 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 even now it feels a little quick, but back then it was a little more radical because that's a problem that shows I think suffer with even to this day where you get these redemption arcs that like they feel like they happen over one episode. And I think now you kind of, I'm starting to feel a shift where redemption is kind of something that's falling by the wayside, not in the terms of like, oh, you know, you can never change or like bad people stay bad, but in the sense that you can start doing the good thing, but that'll never erase the bad things you do. That's more of the shift I feel lately. Um, whereas Zuko, I mean, he shows up and it takes a while for everyone to warm up to him, but, uh, it's still something where it's like, oh, you know, by the end of five episodes, he's suddenly in with this entire group of people. (laughs) So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a shift. Uh, and of course, this is also marks the final appearance of Sparky Sparky Boom Man or Combustion Man. I don't know what the poll response is yet because yes. I was dead serious about making a poll between that. So I'll just put it right here. The winner is Sparky Sparky Boom Man. <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting turnout, I imagine. I don't know. <laughs> wow, that's very reflective of the recent winner of the presidential election. Oh, no, no, who no. Is, I don't want to think about that. I can't. I can't. I'll lose my mind. Who is? <laughs> just put it. <laughs> I welcome death. <laughs> I, I, I yearn for death. Yeah. Uh, but it, let's talk about the Western Air Temple a little bit, because this is kind of like a, a hangout episode for the most of it. Yeah. While, of course, Zuko is like, hey there. <laughs> like, he, he talks like a, a YouTuber opening up like their vlog. You know, he talks like, like the, hey, Zuko here. He talks like a, a YouTuber when they fuck up and then they have to do the apology video. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, hey, at least he didn't record like a corpse in a suicide forest. He had a lot of growth, but you know, but hey, we've all made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, you know, still war crimes and stuff. Have you but... ever seen that video? No, I haven't. I don't need to see that video. Here's something crazy about it, though, for the the other people. It's not like he just posted that part, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's a vlogger. Like, that would still be bad. But he kept the whole day in. So it's like you have him, like, goofing around for, like, 20 minutes before finding a dead fucking body. That's so gross. And then he still goofs around afterwards. And it's like, like, dude, like, dude, <laughs> you know, remember, remember fucking Stand By Me where they find the body, find, like, they go, look, they, in Stand By Me, they went looking for a body. Yeah. And they finally find it and they, like, they suddenly, like, the gravity of, like, this is an actual dead person, like, hits all of them. Like, all at once where it's like, he's not sleeping, he's fucking dead. And so then they just, like, anonymously report it, you know, and then everyone, of course, grows after that trip, right? It's like, that would be something, you know, I think we all remember if we have the first time we saw a dead body. Hopefully it was, like, at a funeral or something, (laughs) which makes logical sense. Maybe it was one of those, you had a health class that took you to a hospital to see a dead body so they could show you what happens if you smoke cigarettes or something. But hey, you know who did change? Prince Zuko. Prince Zuko. And that counts for something. Only took him for a fuck ton of time. 
Yeah, it'll, it'll only took him the entire series, basically. I mean, to give him credit, uh, this is uh, all. This show takes place over the course of one year, correct? Yes. So you know that's a hell of a year for a guy. Oh, fucking boy, is it? Yeah, you know that guy. That man, that, he really did go through a lot. Uh, yeah. No wonder he's a fucking sad boy. Yeah. Um. So this episode, uh, the the survive like I want to say survivors, but like. Just the the kids who managed to escape the the failure of the invasion, um, Tio, Haru, the Duke joined Sokka, Toph, Katara, and Aang, and we didn't even talk about uh, Aang and Katara kissed on on oh, the, yes. the day of the invasion. Yes, and I just feel like we should have brought that up because that that does feel like a big moment, and thankfully, that's I I like the way it's reintroduced later in these episodes. Yeah, we're we'll going to discuss. That. Well, thank- because it, it's also not just like a cut and dry uh, emotional experience for them either. Well, it's a good thing we're bringing it up here, and I'm sure we didn't get any comments about it between the week when the last episode aired and the week when this one airs. Yeah, I can't can't imagine anybody having strong feelings about that. Yeah, but, uh, one of the bigger moments of the show that we just decided to gloss over, probably because I wanted to talk about some fucking thing that happened to me. <laughs> I'm in love with myself. Uh, maybe that's why you relate to Toph the most. But like Toph, <laughs> you're also generally level-headed when you're not angry. And she brings up a good point that, um, you know, Aang... Well, I mean, they're all having the discussion about Aang needing a firebending master. And, like, the only person they've met along their journey uh, is Zhang Zhang, the, the deserter general from the Fire Nation. And he's, like, notoriously, like, a ghost in the world. So they're not going to have any luck finding him. And so Zuko turns up to redeem himself, to give himself over as prisoner, and everyone is basically immediately like, uh, no. <laughs> we'll attack you if you stay here. <laughs> and, you know, they're saying attack, but I think what they really mean is they'll kill him. Well, they... Right? Katara like that's does, does that where she's like, you better get out of here, and if you come back... You better get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I feel like is just them kind of working around. A, it would be a little fucked up to suddenly hear Katara go like, or I'll kill you. (laughs) Although she does end the episode like that. And who is to say why? Like, that that reaction is incorrect. Because she was the first person who trusted him. um, And she, like, legitimately was very open with him and you know they're bonding over like the loss of their mother uh, a little asterisk there for Zuko of course and um and you know she that trust got her emotionally hurt but it also almost killed Aang you know or it, it did kill Aang and she had to bring him back like so I understand her her anger they're all justified in their anger oh absolutely but I also think what part of the reason why like the re- the the redemption is like uh a little more noteworthy here under such like a basically five episodes over, over this course of this recording um, is that they are desperate. Like this is it. They've, they've not only lost the war, they have also lost like their entire like resistance army, yes. <laughs> like the 30 of them that they had left. It's literally just them against the world now. Like there's nothing else. 100%. They're at their lowest possible point. Yeah. It's, like, it's really, in the history of the series. It's really like a moment where it's like, like they're even like, well, I guess we gotta find Aang a firebending teacher. Like, it's more just like that's that's all we got at this moment. 
Like it, it almost feels like they're they're kind of being like, look, we'll learn firebending and we'll do what we can, but we might just have to ride out whatever the fuck's about to happen with Sozin's comet. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this might be a a lot longer than we thought it would be. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a hundred percent makes sense that Katara is the one who's like not gonna open up to Zuko. Katara's like that one friend who, like on the surface, is like way too trusting. You know. Like, they're overly trusting of people. You know, y'all know someone like that. But then the moment that they're crossed or any of their friends are crossed, they turn into, like, fucking Kaiser Soze. (laughs) Where it's like, kill them, kill their family, kill their family's friends. Like Yeah, she's got that really great, like, duality in her personality like that. Like, she's so loving and, like, you know, as we'll see later, very uh, optimistic. And she will share that and declare that with the world frequently. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, she will also like scorch earth this motherfucker. Yeah. So well, not to not to give in the tropes, but she's definitely got very like mom energy. Like she clearly yeah to replace the mom that was taken from her. So mm. and I should I should stress good mom energy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good good mom energy. There are definitely some that do not fit the bill. <laughs> are there any bad moms in this series? I think. Let me think. I think we don't really come across them in, in mean, the last Airbender. Uh, you got Toph's mom. Oh, okay. But, yeah, no. But the the father seemed to be running the show there a little bit. Mm. You know. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I can't think of any off the top of my head. There's probably like one egregious example <laughs> that I know that we just forget to bring. Yeah, up. Yeah, that like now like people are, like are tearing their hair out and. They're like, what the fuck? But um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like, there's, there's, of course, people that made mistakes, but no one that I can think of that is overtly terrible. Um, I look forward to be proven wrong. <laughs> um, I, I think there's at least one in Legend of Korra, but we'll oh, save defi- that. Definitely. Uh, I want to say though, we don't really talk about the art as much. I really like the design of the Western Air Temple. Oh, it's so cool! Yeah, it's so unique, and it's something that like totally works for like a fantasy setting that you just don't see. And I, I can't. Is it? it there's got to be like a real world analog that I'm just not thinking of that has um, some this, look like that. This is probably not what they were inspired by because you know the 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 monks the the air nomads were inspired by like tibetan monks and stuff like that so i don't think this is what uh, inspired them to do this particular design for the western air temple but to me it reminds me of like those native american cultures and tribes that would oh yeah the one, basically build their homes like in the canyons and stuff like that like I, see, I don't even know like which specific yeah. tribes it is and stuff like that but that's what it reminded me of let me look that up so we can at least give some credit. <laughs> yeah, sorry to a culture that was run out of their own home. Well, it definitely looks we... like uh, like a monastery type place. Like you know, like how you you always see those um, those monasteries that are like really like they're basically built on like cliffs, right? Like there's just like there's only like one narrow path. It's definitely inspired by that, but it's like an inverted version of it. Man, I looked it up and I'm just getting cliff cities well here while you're looking that up uh if we can find it for this episode i just want to say that like we could honestly probably go over these episodes pretty quickly just because each one relates to zuko 
having to rehabilitate himself with each member of the group that he's literally burned. Yes. You know? And I like that even... <laughs> on multiple like, occasions. He's, done, he's literally burned pretty much everyone, and they still found time to make sure he also burned Toph. I know. <laughs> they had to be like, who's had like the least interaction with him, and they still had a moment where she's like, oh, you know what, I, I feel bad for him, and then he fucking accidentally burns her. <laughs> but Toph also brings up the good point, like, hey, a firebender just showed up on your doorstep, and we shoot him away. Mm. Like, we, we're not in a position to to be choosing right now. Like, this is it. Like, uh, the, the series does a great job of, like, really starting to ramp you up for the end game. And while Zuko being with the group is something, like, I would watch another three seasons of just that, right? Like, it's just inherently enjoyable because of the character dynamics. I am also glad that it does not overstay its welcome. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened in this writer's room. But they know exactly when to, like, set things in motion, when to start paying them off, and let them just breathe for a little bit. Because even though it's only five episodes, it is also still quality five episodes before the big end game. So it's it's just fun to watch him struggle to be good, you know? Yes. Like he literally shouts to the sky, why, is, why am I so bad at being good? <laughs> All right. The answer is, it. from what I found, um, it's the Pueblo people. And, there you go. Uh, they're in the Mesa Verde National Park. Um, they're cliff, called Cliff Dwellings. I'm sure there's another name, but that was what I found in the few minutes I just Googled it while trying to record a podcast. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Just just thought I'd throw that out there. No, definitely. But we also, the other thing that's kind of uns- that's less stated in this episode is that Aang is very reluctant to start... Like, I mean, he's made... I don't think he's made any conscious effort to learn firebending this season, has he? No, it really is just them preparing for the invasion, which is even more impressive because, like, you feel like that should be a nitpick, but they've turned they turn it into a strength like immediately. Like, you can look back at the entire season and kind of question, like, wait, why isn't he trying to firebend? He's been trying to master every other element he's been introduced to through the other seasons, right? But you really learn more about the culture of the fire nation at this point. And then now that they've kind of, you got what you need to know, you know, the stakes, obviously how they like expand upon that and his inner turmoil, because he did burn Katara the first time he started when he played with fire. That's what I was leading to is that it's what's interesting is that there's not even moments in this where he's like, man, I got to learn firebending at some point, but right now I'm focusing on the invasion. It's like, he doesn't even suggest um, that at some point he should learn firebending, you know, that I can remember. I'm sure maybe there was one or two references, but it really feels like, you know, like when you're like, you got work to do or something at like the office, but like no one notices that it still needs to be done. <laughs> and so you're just hoping like, man, I hope no one notices so I could just leave <laughs> like and be like, oh, you know, no one said anything. <laughs> it feels a little like that where he's just like hoping no one is going to notice that he hasn't learned firebending yet. <laughs> and he's going to be like, yeah, you know, let's just uh, yeah, let's do the invasion. And he's like, the moment someone's like, oh, yeah, but also you got to learn firebending. He's like, fuck. Like, yeah. I was just saying, every time they bring it up, he like totally diverts. He diverts, but he also like regresses to the little boy we first saw when he popped out of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Where he didn't have those worries. But now, you know, he obviously has the worries of literally the weight of the world. 
but he's finding comfort and like, no, 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 let's just, let's just go play around for a little bit. Like they've lost so much up to this point that you can totally understand why he's going back to that. Yeah. And why that's the wrong decision. Exactly. And, yeah. Also, Sparky Sparky Boom Man gets to blow up a lot of stuff, which is like, it's cool because, you know, of his ability, but it's also like, ah, oh, shit, like this is another one of the last, like, air nomad temples in the world. Yeah. And it's just getting, like, demolished. Um, and Zuko tries to call him off, like, which is a really great moment, but he also, like, is like, look, really- I love Zuko, obviously, but does he really try? Like, like, look at how he handles that. Well, and it, he just kind of gets, like, slapped away. It really feels like he was trying to be, like, all right, this is my opportunity. If they see, if, as long as they see me trying to stop him, they'll think I'm better. <laughs> Cause he's like, Hey, I don't want you hunting the avatar anymore. Like in full view of everyone as loud as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and also I, I do love the moment where he's like, if you, if you keep doing this, I'm not going to pay you. And the guy just doesn't give a shit. And he's like, all right, I'll pay you double to stop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so great. <laughs> he's got nothing. And my boy Sokka comes to play again because he makes Combustion Man combust himself, which is pretty gnarly for a death. Yeah. Which the, the, the show has strayed up. away from for a while for character death. And this dude blows up to the point where his arm goes flying at the camera. Yeah. This seems to be one like, of the... good Christ. For some reason, that's like an accepted cartoon death. You know, that's, which is like in re- in real life, that's like one of the most horrifying things you can think of. But, because that's also like how the lone biker of the apocalypse dies in Raising Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and you see his leg fly off in that. Yeah, what, what, what's up with that? Why, why, why is this an accepted thing? I don't know. There's something about blood. Like, it's always blood is the problem. And, I mean, you know, I, I get it. And that was always a big deal as a kid. Like, whenever there was blood in a cartoon, that was when you knew shit got serious. But it would be, like, <laughs> so little blood, it was, like, comical. But, like, even even friggin' uh, Dragon Ball Z, people would get their limbs cut off, but there would be no blood. You know? Like, that happened a lot on that show. And they got away with it. Or, like, uh, you know, our, of course, like, our favorite Star Wars... When someone gets cut with a laser sword, yeah, you know, it, it gets cauterized immediately because it's a laser sword. Mm. <laughs> so, it, it even uh, yeah, they got even they got workarounds. Snoke getting cut in half, there wasn't any blood. Oh yeah, but he's like a monster he's alien a, thing. Yeah, he's a monster man. So you know what though? I realized. I think I mentioned this. One thing I realized that I, I kind of was missing from the whole new sequel trilogy was no one lost a limb. Oh, yeah. Like, that was one thing that didn't happen. Which I'm sure is, like, there's, like, a 12-hour video about that specific thing and how that's an example of Disney making it more kid-friendly or some shit. And then cut to, like, Snoke getting cut in half again. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, that happened. Like, but... <laughs> yeah, like, that's not easy. And Rise of Skywalker basically opens up with a decapitation, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Fucking an old man just gets cut the fuck down, like, ten minutes in. Oh my god, that's right. Rest in peace, Max von Sydow. <laughs> How does he look the same as he did in The Exorcist? Well, because he was, he, they put old man makeup on him in The Exorcist. Well, yeah, I know, but it like looks exactly like he does now. I know, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of like when Orson <laughs> Welles in Citizen Kane 
is supposed to look old and he's just like a bald version <laughs> of himself and then it's like oh Orson <laughs> you don't know what's coming buddy <laughs> got the fucking him as Falstaff <laughs> okay but at, at, at the at the end of uh, Orson, the, the western air temple Orson was sparky sparky <laughs> he still wouldn't talk though no no that then you would give him dialogue <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't know. It would be like a thing where it's like, like you know, you come to him and be like, all right, we got this character. He's got no dialogue. Who do we play him? And it's like, well, we can't get anyone, but we can get Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, fuck. And it's like, and he wants at least one monologue. And it's like, fine. And he shows up. Okay, that, well, that's how, that's how you close him out. You give him the monologue and then he blows himself up. But it's clearly like a splice together, like 17 takes because he was just drunk on set. although i heard this amazing story about orison i think it was for treasure island or something like that where he he had like a call time where he's long john silver and he didn't show up no it was some movie where he only had like one scene and it was like he wasn't showing up on set everyone was like or and so it's it's getting to a point where it's like if he's not going to show up we're going to have to recast him and he shows up he's clearly hammered He, he walks on set. The director says, action. Orson does his entire scene perfectly, no mistakes. Cut, walks off set, and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, well, we got the shot. <laughs> so that that's Orson. Um, oh, and Boomerang goes back to Sokka, because Boomerang always comes back. Yay. Which is nice. Yay. Um... Yeah, and then the next episode is is uh, Aang having to to work through <laughs> his stuff with Zuko, and uh, Zuko immediately, the moment he's accepted into the group, can't firebend anymore. Yes, <laughs> it is so perfect. And man, is it embarrassing! <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Uh, it's kind of like his Spider-Man Two moment where he's like, he just can't function yeah. anymore. Although I guess there it's like an impotence metaphor. Yeah, that's definitely not. This definitely isn't an impotence metaphor here either. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, but there's there's this really compelling idea that like, oh yeah, he's been so angry his whole life. Now that he's finding like at least a semblance of inner peace in like doing the right thing, he doesn't know how to like express himself well, anymore. Love- like it's it's literally him expressing through firebending, but it's also like. Who is he now, well, now I, that he's good? What I love about this episode is that it, it, it gets scary for a second because it feels like, oh no, is the show going to get kind of fucked up for a minute? Where it's like, he's like, I'm not angry anymore, so I can't do firebending. And it's like, that seems like a bad lesson to teach children. <laughs> you know, it starts out that way. And if you don't know where it's going, it's really this moment where it's like, because how many times have you seen shows where like there's something like that where it like makes sense in the show, but then if it's like, all right, it's a show meant for children. This is going to teach some bad lessons. God, uh, Stranger Things two does this at the very end, where it's like, oh, Eleven has to use her anger and her rage yeah. to save the day, and uh, it looks like the lesson's going to be like, no, her true power isn't like the love of her friends and family. And it's like, oh, that's nice, but no, they double down on her being like angry. And thankfully, that is not brought up again in season three yeah. because I think they understood that, like, yeah, that probably was was a bad move on our part. I got to give Stranger Things season three a lot of credit. It's one of the few shows I've seen 
where they seem to listen to fans in the right way, you know? Because mm-hmm. there were a lot of complaints about two, and it, and instead of doing shit where it's like you see all these franchises lately where they clearly are pivoting to like fan demand, that was one where they really sat down and thought about the criticisms they were getting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fun again, you yeah. know. I mean, that, that's there's there's more going on there. We've talked about it before. Like, it's not a perfect show, but like season three was was a really fun ride to watch, and I I'm actually excited for another one of those rides down the line whenever they can make TV shows again. But I was not in that place after season two. So that was just cool. Yeah. It's a good example. Um, and uh, yeah, how, how they explore the nature of fire and that it's more than just like a destructive force, you know, I mean the whole season's done a really good job of like elaborating on the fire nation and its people and how like no one people are one thing, you know, like yeah. it's, humanity even in fiction is like there's there's too many shades of different colors in these people and like literally represented in the fire at the end of this episode it's like oh look fire is more than just the one color it's it's like a rainbow it's a kaleidoscope of colors that's a great moment and uh, also there are dragons in this episode which fucking rules freaking dragons finally show the fuck up i know isn't that like weird that's like it just never registered with me that like oh yeah there's no dragons in this fantasy show Except for uh, this is the one episode where they're in. Well, Fire Lord, uh, no, not Fire Lord. Oh, Fire, Fire Lord Oza. Yeah, but it's a, it's like a ghost dragon, which is really yeah. cool. We haven't talked about how cool that is, but like in this one, it's like no, 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 dragons, just straight up dragons. Well, we get the classic, you know, this, which is always some weird thing where it's always like, oh, the last dragons were slain X number of years ago, which seems to be the only thing we ever do with dragons. <laughs> I mean, like I. I get it. It's always meant to be like, here's the shift, especially in Western fantasy, where it's like, here's the shift from medieval to modern. Like, the end of dragons represents the passing of, like, magic and the beginning of a new era, which I guess is the lesson we're always trying to teach with fantasy. (laughs) Which I'm not, I don't know why that's, like, the popular thing, you know, but yeah. And so here it's like, oh, all the dragons were killed except for these two, because uh, and it was and we learned about Uncle Ira who was allegedly uh, slayed the last dragons, but it turns out he lied, and it's just to keep these dragons safe. Which uh, was like, oh, I think he did before the death of his son. So it's always like that's a hint that Iroh had more going on in him, uh, even at the start. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know attacking a city full of innocent people still not great but yeah there there's there's always been more going on there than with his brother ozai Mm -hmm. who is just evil through and through which you know whatever whatever and the uh Um, the uh dragon's names are ran and shaw i I know ran ran in japanese means chaos right i know ran because that's the name of that's i only know that because of the kurosawa film (laughs) Oh, okay. That makes sense. But I don't know what Sean... It's a great is. film, by the way. Yeah, everyone Ran, watch Ran. Everyone watch Ran. It'll fucking fuck you up. But it's a it's a beautiful film. But as we all know, Kurosawa mode's always in black and white. So fucking stupid. Remember that conversation we recently had? I, I know. I know. It's so fucking... That'd be like doing... <laughs> That'd be like if we did Sergio Leone mode. And it's in black and white. It's like, Leon never shot black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Or John Ford. John Ford, who, like, half his career was black and white. 
The other half was in color. I mean, his best film is in color. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. All right, I'm found here. Oh, in oh. Chinese, ran means burn, ignite. And uh, Shaw, which I guess is spelled differently, means bird, burn as in blaze. So I guess it was more Chinese based. Oh, okay. That's, that's I interesting. Thought, I thought it was going to be like an order and chaos thing. Because <laughs> they do kind of float around like that. Mm-hmm. But hey, what do yeah, you Yeah, and think? then uh, uh, Aang and Zuko learn the, uh, the dancing dragon, which helps guide them to uh, new firebending techniques and different ways of expressing themselves in a, in a healthy manner, which is which is really great because, you know, Aang has also never gotten firebending up to this point, like we talked about, and yeah. now he knows how to control it. You know, he gets that, that great moment where him and Zuko have to march up the mountain and take, like, the very, like, bits of the very first fire to the dragons, which is... I don't know. This is this is another great episode. All these episodes are great. Mm-hmm. Not one of these has any like moments for me where I'm like, ah. Nah, nah. I just I, I love these dearly. These these are all among the best of the series. Not in my to opinion. be a Debbie Downer. <sighs> you fucking. But uh, the my only complaint is that I kind of wish the way this season is structured is it's one episode longer than normal to accommodate the four part. Uh, the four-part climax, right? I, right. I kind of wish we just had three more episodes with Zuko and Team Avatar. And then Sozin's Comet was just like its own thing. And, you know, whatever. Like, it, it, you always, I would always rather want more than feel like I got too much. <laughs> That's it. It's just like, it's one of those things where in my mind, again, I was like, oh, you know, they, they hang out with Zuko for, like, half the season. And, I mean, they still technically do. <laughs> but it's more like, you know, uh, like, two-thirds of it. Or not even, like, a third of the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that. Like I said, I, I'd, I'd watch a three-season arc of yeah. Zuko hanging out with them after this. Yeah, not only that. And <laughs> like... it's, and it's not, e- not even just Zuko. Like, not to jump ahead, but it's like, you also get Suki comes back. I would have loved more of her. Um, you also get, you know, we, we see Azula, like, and she, she'll have a falling out with her friends in a few episodes. And it would be cool to see more of the fallout of that. And, you know, I just... I, It's a little... Again, it just leaves me wanting more. I don't even want to say rush because I think it accomplishes exactly what it's going for. Like it definitely hits all the boxes in ways that are satisfying. It's just I there's like a couple little things, and this is it's always it's also that regret you always feel when you're getting to the end of something you love, where it's like, oh man, I guess I got to close the book now. <laughs> like, oh, that's exactly what this is. Like I brought up last time, but like I I don't I haven't liked revisiting these because. It's over after yeah. this. Yeah, knowing that a lot of the, what they're doing right now is the last time we're going to see them do it, you know? Hmm. And that's, it's, that's just a reality of any franchise you like. Or yeah, and I think uh, there, was, there was this great uh, George Lucas quote going around last night on Twitter at the time of this recording. Who fucking knows how long ago this is going to be for you listeners out there. Um, but this is back in 2005 at... Star Wars Celebration, I believe. 
George Lucas said, quote, don't let Star Wars take over your lives. The point of the movie is to get on with your lives, to take that challenge, to leave your uncle's moisture farm, to go out in the universe, change it, or, or to go out in the world, change it, and save the universe. So, um, it's a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> Talk about a guy who did not read the crowd. Because <laughs> that's, that's a sentiment I totally agree with. Maybe don't make it at Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> You know what? No, I think that's the exact place he has to say it because it's yeah, but th- here's Star the, Wars yeah, celebration. But, you know, that's like trying to go into like fucking like the head, like to go into the Vatican and be like, all this is nonsense. Well, I, I don't, I don't even think it's it's it's. I don't think that's comparable. I, I think no, it's just saying that like use it as a part of your life. It can, it can guide you a little bit, but it can't be the guiding light of your life, you know? Again, I totally agree with the sentiment of what he's saying. I'm not uh, disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that those people in that audience did not hear it. (laughs) No, they totally didn't, which is why I I think they they need to have that repeated to them. When that happened, it was like a story because it was like another thing was like, George Lucas clearly hates the fans, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember that being a story. And I think that's also the one... He gave. It might not have been that, but one of those celebrations, he he said something about, uh, like he's like older people like the original films and younger people like the prequels, and like the cloud, the crowd got like animated at him. <laughs> like that's so stupid. And, and he was, Star Star Wars fans need to shut the fuck up, honestly. And he was literally like, and like he, you know, George didn't back down. He was like, nope, they do. You could disagree with me, but they do. And again, that was another moment where it, like, of course, got extrapolated into George Lucas is saying that this is stuff's for kids, and he thinks you people are kids, and then clearly he thinks children are idiots, because that's why Jar Jar Binks steps in the poop. And, you know, like, we had to relitigate the same fucking thing over and over again. Wow, I, I just feel bad for George Lucas in the last days, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. It's and, you know, and I can't really be like too righteous, self righteous, because I was definitely in team like anti prequel for a long time, and now I'm more just like calm the fuck down, everyone. <laughs> and again, it's just been such a bummer lately to see like, especially with John Boyega like vocally being like, I don't give a shit about Star Wars anymore, which is like that's the last thing you want to see happen to these people. <laughs> you don't want to see them have to experience that. And the fans really have no one to blame but themselves on that stuff. And I just gotta hope. A part of me just has to hope that, like, you know, I'm I'm getting older. I'm in my late 20s now. The people that were doing that are, like, teenagers. Mm. Like, I just have to be like, all right, I'm growing up. Those people, they'll grow up eventually. They'll get through it. It just sucks they have to go through it. I don't know. I, I think there's definitely, like, this cycle that's been perpetuating. There's a whole lot of reasons why it's been going on, um, specifically since the 80s, which is a whole thing we've discussed a lot here, too. Yeah. Uh, and I I think the dam's kind of about to break on that, at least in some capacity, at least in some areas of, I guess, like the discourse, but just in pop culture in general, of what we consume and how we consume it. I, I, I think audiences want to do more than just determine whether or not something is good or bad. I I, I think we're going to see uh, a shift after we survive this horrible nightmare. 
that I, happens to us every day. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe I guess, I'm just optimistic and wrong. But yeah, I don't. I don't know at all. Um, it, it just feels like it's always the thing where I'm always like, well, that's the end of it, and then it's like, oh no, there's like a whole other thing outside my bubble I didn't notice that it like was huge. Like I remember when Pirates of the Caribbean five came out. Is that how many we're up to? Yeah. Uh, and it was like it got eviscerated and it bombed in America pretty much. And I, I literally was at the movies for another movie opening weekend. And I just peeked in one of the screens to see how many people were there. This is opening weekend. It was an empty theater for Pirates 5. Wow. And I was like, well, that's it. The dam has burst on the Pirates franchise. And then it like made $800 million overseas. <laughs> And it's like, I guess, like, so I, I, I just, I, I don't feel like, and I'm also just coming to terms with the fact that as I get older, I'm just less in touch with what is popular, you know, like I've been going through like, what the fuck is Fall Guys? Like, <laughs> and like, I, I, I don't know anything about Fortnite. All I know is that they're fighting with Apple right now. And... <laughs> It's just like, I just have to come to that I'm slowly becoming irrelevant, and I just have to be like, I have to let that go, you know? Because I think mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do is start thinking that you're still the center of the universe. Yeah. Or that even this stuff is still for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe it's just not for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, apart from how you determine its own quality, like, I, I think people need to understand that that's... A separate issue as well you know mm-hmm. like i think you could even find enjoyment in something and be like yeah i don't want to revisit that though like that's just a normal feeling to have sometimes yeah. you know i mean but I, I i i admittedly i always hang in way too long like i i, I stand by things longer than i should like i kind of have to thank jk rowling for being a mask off transphobe because that like finally cut the rope to harry potter for me yeah, maybe you don't have to thank her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want to thank her and then put her in a box and push her away. <laughs> you know, and then just keep her keep her hidden forever now. But, <laughs> like, that that was the moment where it was like, alright, I don't need to deal with this bullshit anymore. And it's yeah. not, not even in, like, a hateful way where it's just like, again, it's like that Harry Potter was a big part of my life. I got... I read the Harry Potter books because I got chicken pox and I had to stay home and there was no TV in my room. <laughs> so I had to read books and I read all of the Harry Potter books that had been out at that point. And then I was like, all right, that, uh, now now this is my thing. <laughs> and that was a big part of my life. And now it's just, but like that happened and now I move on. <laughs> and it's like now I'm rereading the Game of Thrones, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books and I still like them. But it's like, I also realized that it would take more to get me to finally cut the ties on something like that. Even though some of it definitely hasn't aged super well. I don't know if I'm ever going to cut the ties on Avatar, though. I don't. I think this one has a lot more going on with it. Uh, and thankfully, the creators seem not to be, like, god-awful human beings. Or at least very supportive of, like, all the fans. So long as they're, like, you know, engaging in a healthy, non-violent manner on the internet. Um... But Although, of course, like I gotta say, th- those 
resignation letters were like strategically written to upset fans (laughs) that was like like i almost wanted to like like give them like a standing ovation to be like man you guys know your audience (laughs) and yeah you know i mean we've also made a whole point in this retrospective about never holding things up as like uh unimpeachable like icons and like these these yeah. unbreakable virtues of good and quality you know like it's our relationship to art and artists will fluctuate for better and worse and you know maybe there will be a point in my life where i no longer find enjoyment in avatar or maybe something's more insidious is revealed about its origins or like something that i just can't move on from well, or, or, or can't like ignore you know and that's that that'll be okay too you know because i got more going on in my life than just avatar you know thankfully yeah but um i'll always be grateful for the emotions it's made me feel and like the connection i had to it just in terms of how culture shifts it's like there's no way this will like age per- like nothing ages perfectly and we might be really embarrassed x number of years from now looking back honestly it's been great to revisit this because i've enjoyed so much of it but it was also great to be able to see its flaws more this time, which aren't many, I will stress, <laughs> at least not many that I noticed. Um, but it's it's good because it's like refreshing to be like, all right, this can always be done better. Because you know, if it was like perfect, it would, I, we would walk away from this being like, all right, well, we don't need to do art anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> there's you know, it's funny. We're like we're trying to be very open and like empathetic about this, but there are some episodes of this series where I'm like, why don't we even bother anymore? Like, this is it. <laughs> I de- no, I I walked away with the exact opposite feeling. Like I love this, I love the show, but it's like every time I watch it, it's again. I, I mentioned earlier where it's like when you watch something and you love it that much, there's always a part of you that's like, oh, but what if it went here? You know? Like, no, 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 like I totally agree. I'm just saying, like I kind of get caught up in the episode so much sometimes, like Zuko alone or something like that, and I'll just be like. Yeah, no, that that is perfect. Like, yeah. that is an encapsulation of what perfection is for this series. Yeah. But, you know, I, I totally agree with you. It's more just like, how is this this consistently good? Like, no, mm. so many things fail at that sort of, like, plate-spinning stuff. Like, even stuff I love where it's like... Like, Star Trek The Next Generation has some dog shit episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... But then, like... And even episodes that are, like, great of star trek which is another thing that i just love it's like even the best episodes there's always stuff in it where it's like well you know that could have been done better where like i will watch episodes of this show and be like that's as good as that episode could probably be <laughs> uh, yeah it's, all of this stuff is great um yeah uh, speaking great- of as good as it possibly could be the uh the prison break episode has one of my favorite moments of interaction in this entire series and it's when zuko and Sokka go to break out his father from prison when, you know, unfortunately they don't realize that Hakoda's not there until later. It's a whole thing. You've seen it if you're listening to this. But uh, on the, the hot air balloon ride over to the prison, you know, they, they struggle to, like, connect because, you know, it's it's Zuko and Sokka. Yeah. That's why. And um, they just start talking about, like, you know, this kind of, like, guys being dudes moment. But <laughs> they they both got into, like, a healthy point in their, like, lives and uh, experiences that it's not, like, repulsive. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the greatest moment of all time, according to Avatar memes, is when they're bonding over their girlfriend. 
And then Sokka's like, my first girlfriend turned into the moon. And Zuko's like, that's rough, buddy. (laughs) What's so funny about that to me is that it's delivered in a way where it's like, in the Avatar universe, that is something that could reasonably happen to the average person. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, well, like, like, we all know someone that, like, turned into a tree or something. Like, we all have some crazy story like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, frankly, would make life a lot more interesting. But, yeah, that's... that's yeah, a... but, like, even, like, the best, most peaceful version of this universe, there are still, like, spirits that'll steal your face. <laughs> so, you know, maybe not 100% more interesting. Maybe just kind of scary at a mm-hmm. certain point. Yeah, but, but who like, knows? Who knows? The stuff that makes life interesting is also usually the stuff that makes life pretty awful. <laughs> it's rare that they're just separate things. But, uh, yeah, what, why is that a thing where it's like you're stuck with someone who you don't really know and you feel the need to have conversation? <laughs> so you're like, no, it's a good idea. Let's talk about our ex-girlfriends. <laughs> um... I think why this works for me is because Sokka and Zuko are at the point where they are trying to accept one another. Or at least yeah. Zuko's trying to accept everyone or trying to be accepted. Well, Zuko's but trying I think so- Sokka... to be... Ex- you're right. Zuko's more trying to be accepted. as a sort. He's always looking for validation. Like, no matter what, he's still a sad boy. And he needs outside validation for what he does. And look, we all need some sort of outside validation. I know we're all supposed to be fucking beings of internal peace and shit like that. But we all still want someone to be like, hey, good job doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Z- um, Zuko just I, I needs think... it more than others because he got it from no one <laughs> in his whole life. Yeah. And... <laughs> you know, when your dad burns your face... You got some stuff to work through. And even Iroh, who's like the one good person in his life, was still like, he he didn't know Zuko until Zuko was already a sad boy. And so Iroh's mostly like, hey, maybe try not being a sad boy. (laughs) (laughs) And that would still probably get on your nerves, even if you know he's right. Yeah. Um, But I I think Sokka does want to accept him, not just because they're at the end of the rope, not just because he is going to rescue his father and eventually Suki in the prison that, that they end up in. Um, but I, I think that he does kind of see like a kindred spirit of sorts. What's well, like, also Zuko. like, and I, I don't think it's a mistake that Sokka gets the two parter with Zuko. Yeah. You well, know? What's interesting about this is one, like, yeah, it's a two parter with Zuko and Sokka when normally Aang plays no role in this two parter, which is interesting considering he's the main character. <laughs> and, but also it's like, it shows how much Sokka's grown where it's like, he's no longer feels like he's trying, like he's overly trying to prove himself, you know, where it feels like if, if this had been like season one and Zuko showed up, you feel like there would have been a lot more tension between him and Zuko. Cause Sokka would want to like assert that he's still like a strong person. And it's, it's an attitude Sokka had in the first season, which sometimes served him bad in terms of, like, the Kyoshi Warriors. And sometimes served him good in terms of not trusting Jet, who ended up being a terrorist. You know, but it's also like, if he had met Jet now, he probably would have been kinder to him, which would have been a mistake. 
but he's still trying to prove himself in the sense that he feels honor bound to like go rescue his father. Like he feels, he still feels like he's got to be that man that like steps up to the plate. But again, it's less driven by a sense of insecurity and more by like certain practicalities. Uh, and also the, the warden of the Boiling Rock prison is, uh, May's uncle, which is, uh, you know, probably not the best for Zuko when he gets captured. Not great. To temporarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and when, when May does show up there, like, I think it's a very valid point she makes like, Hey, you just left and didn't say anything. Like they're basically sharing their lives together and he was going through something and he didn't share that with her. He doesn't know whether or not she would have gone with him, you know? Like, it's not openly said there, but, like, that wasn't the conversation he had with her. Yeah. And she's rightfully upset about that. She's you know? 100%. Like, there's, there's obviously bigger things going on in the world, but the emotions are valid. It's, it's She's right, but, I, again, not to be Debbie Downer, but, a Chris, again, where I said, like, I wish there was a couple more episodes to flesh some stuff out. I, I wish... We could have seen more of what she did when Zuko's not around, or when Azul is not around. What my May's like, and it it feels a little weird that like it like at the end she's like, I can't believe I'm helping the guy who dumped me. You know? Oh yeah, Which, yeah. It, it, that just it feels like a sarcastic comment she would make, where it's like not like she's deliberately not revealing her real reasons for doing it, but. uh it's it's also where it's like I wish I could have we could have seen more of her because again that's a she told it's a totally valid point of like hey you don't know what I how I saw that you're only thinking of yourself still but she's also never been afforded enough character moments where we get to see that it's the same with Ty Lee who like at the end of this episode when they turn on Azula it's a great moment but it also feels like I wish there was just a little more with them. Yeah, so I'm definitely on board with, like, your three extra episode things. Like, this could have been, like, a 25-episode season, probably. Yeah. Uh, like, an episode of just May and Ty Lee having to, like, escape or something like that down the line, I think would have been a lot of fun. And given what you're asking, like, more dimensions to their personality so we can understand them better when when other main characters aren't around them. Yeah. It's just this thing where, again, where it's, like, you always go like, why is this character afforded more when another character isn't, you know? And again, like I said, this show gets a lot of deserved points for being fairly progressive for its time. But again, it's it, it always feels like it's female characters kind of getting a little short shrifted, you know? Um, and not like a ton, not to the point where it's like, I like it's not like they aren't characters. Like, they're de- well-defined enough that I could be like, I would like to see them in more, you know? <laughs> And, yeah, yeah. Or I suppose where I've, I've seen other shows like this where it gets to that moment where, you know, they make that decision to stand up for themselves. And it's like, well, I'm glad they did that, but I don't know them enough to f- to feel like that's either, like, a victory or a failure, you know? Whereas here, it's like, oh, no, I definitely know the emotions that are going on with everyone here. Uh, it is also leading to the, the beginnings of the unraveling of Azula, mm-hmm. where she's uh, maybe... Maybe having some trouble um, ruling through fear, you know, like maybe that's not the healthiest way to go about building relationships. 
uh-huh. uh, by controlling everyone. Just just something to, to remember as we head into the end game. And, here. and again, again, I'm sorry. I'm being Debbie Downer again. But no, no, no. It's an important topic conversation. It's something that, again, would be more valuable if we could learn more about Azula. <laughs> because it's like, you know, it's like we get all this internal stuff with Zuko, which is great. But it's like, what did Azula really want? You know? Mm-hmm. She's very controlling of her friends. And, you know, controlling people, it's... That, that that comes from a place of insecurity, and you know you could you could trace it back to the fact that she never really had a great relationship with her mother. Like her mother always kind of saw her as like the wild child and as a monster. But again, but the way that that is set up, it's a, it's a thing of like it writes her off as a problem from the start. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've we've discussed it, but it is important to remember. Leading into the end game too, because I think the material is very good. It literally just needs like one episode or like some extra scenes to like help us explore a little bit more of the psychology of the character. Yeah. You know, like I mean, like we talked about, like everyone else gets that point of view and that added dimension. Uh, and Azula clearly like has it. It's just no one really recognizing it. Yeah, and. and how- and that might be a problem with the show, or it might be, like, a problem with the characters or both. But it's it's a problem regardless, I guess. And, and hell, I, we, maybe we don't even need to really understand her. It could be totally like, like a, we need to... T- you ever see We Need to Talk About Kevin? Yes. Which is a fucking depressing-ass movie. <laughs> yeah, no one told me that. I just heard it was really good. It, I don't good. know why people keep doing that to me. Yeah, someone should probably get heads up. But it's, like, somewhere it's, like... You ultimately, like, the struggles of ultimately not being able to know someone, right? Like, like that, whenever there's that wall up between people and, like, trying to put those pieces together and, like, the frustration that comes with not being able to do that, you could maybe do with a character like Azula. Because she kind of has walled herself off to the point where, like, she's like, either uh, it's either my way or the highway with everything, <laughs> Because, like, if if she was, you know, more open or maybe more introspective, maybe she would have seen her brother defecting as, like, a sign that maybe she's not doing things right. But she never really wanted her brother around. (laughs) So, of course, when he leaves, she's not like, eh, whatever. It's funny that she does call herself a people person, though. Yeah. And, I mean, like, all all these valid criticisms that we're bringing up right now, I think we're, we're both pretty much on the same page with that. But it is also just, like, a testament to what a good villain she is, like, on some level that when she shows up, you would know immediately that, like, oh, yeah, this is going to get really bad for everyone involved. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she just knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Where It's like she, anytime she's lost, it's been by, like, sheer chance. <laughs> it's like she's never, there's never really been, like, a strategic win against Azula. Like, she wins in this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's actually something that it's really fucked up. Like a, a moment that is, is like particularly upsetting is just when she's like goodbye Zuko, knowing that he's about to plummet to his death. Yeah. I mean, that's really really harsh. And she somehow tops it. I would argue in the next episode's opening. Uh, I guess we could, we could move on to the Southern Raiders, but I also want to shout out to the the character Chit Sang. 
Oh yes, who, that's, um, <laughs> that's a great little thing. Yeah, I don't even think he's in like the opening of the next episode, but he's just like, "Hey, I'm new here. Hey, I'm, hey everybody, I'm, I'm here too." But also, he has this. A, he has a great arc where he's like the problem prisoner, right? And mm. like you meet him, and he's like easily defined. And again, where the show doesn't make it that simple, where it's like, "All right, that guy's going to come into play later somehow," and it it comes into play when he inserts himself into the escape plan. So you're like, oh, this guy's going to be problem a problem. And instead of fucking up the escape, you know, they separate. But then, of course, the escape doesn't go well. And if they hadn't separated, everyone would have gotten caught. And then he comes back and it's like, all right, we're, you're getting interrogated. You got a break. He's like, I ain't no snitch, you know. Yeah. And it's a great. And then you feel, you, it's like, oh, shit, they broke him. Like, because, of course, they did. This guy doesn't have a lot of integrity. He fucked up the escape. He inserted himself places where he wasn't supposed to be. This guy sucks. And then he throws the mean prison guard under the bus. Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> this guy's the traitor. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that that rules. Uh, and there's also, I think I don't think this character has a name, but like when Hakoda and the, like the, the prison escape teams assembled, they're like, we need to start a riot as a distraction. And so Hakoda like, pushes this dude and he's like ah why'd you do that that hurt my feelings <laughs> he's like aren't you're not mad no nah, i'm learning to control my anger <laughs> like, it, it's so funny it kills me that's great. every time that's great oh. <laughs> that, re- that reminded me of a scene in uh norm mcdonald's dirty work oh my god <laughs> where they're like we need to we need to break into this building let's get these homeless guys to to do a distraction it's like hey homeless guys you want to make a dollar go in there and act crazy and it's like no no you want some crazy out of their mind homeless guys we're more the broken depleted sad homeless oh. guys <laughs> like, we wouldn't be good at that and then they're like how about two dollars and then they do it <laughs> it's a great moment <laughs> Um, but the moment I wanted to bring up in the next episode of the Southern Raiders, which is, of course, Katara teaming up with Zuko, um, when Azula shows up and starts attacking the Western Air Temple and, you know, they have to split up again. And uh, the show does a really good job of, like, whittling down, like, the essential protagonist for the series at the end game. Uh, Azula shows up and Zuko's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I'm celebrating becoming an only child. <laughs> like, that's really fucked up. Yes. Um. Like that, that's, I don't have any siblings, so I don't know what that's like to hear that from a sibling, but I would imagine it's not, um, like we're talking about like having to give Azul more empathy. (laughs) I think by this point, it it can't really be afforded. I don't know if that's like cruel to say, but like. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most siblings don't hear that from their other siblings. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, that's as, not what I meant. I just mean like someone with brothers and sisters. Uh, we've had our moments. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never that. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a harsh moment. But again, and hey, not to be, but I, another show. I won't say the name, although some people maybe can do some logical deductions <laughs> over what show. I mean, has a similar moment to that, which is equally brutal if not more so, but it's between two characters who have been afforded a lot of character depth. So I'm just saying it's possible. 
Okay, okay. Uh, I actually don't know what you're talking about. I've mentioned it during this uh, the show recording. Uh, not this episode, but like the whole thing. No, it's not Game of Thrones. It's another children's show. Um, oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I won't say it then. Which is one, if uh, the other people that put it together before Diego... <laughs> <laughs> Y'all should you should watch that. It's great. I keep recommending it. But uh, also, shout out to Joaquim Dos Santos who directed the Southern Raiders episode. He will be directing the sequel to Spider Verse. Oh shit! Yeah. So greatest movie ever made, Inbound. I hope that's not raising the bar too high yeah. for quality. Wait, well, he's only got to beat the other greatest film ever made. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Um, it's clearly not a like talented dude, another, so good luck. It's not like there's another example of a sequel that the uh, Lord Miller worked on that is still good, but a significant drop-off from the first entry. You don't like 22 Jump Street as much? No, I was talking about the Lego movie. Oh. <laughs> I still haven't seen seen that, so two, I'm sorry. It's, two is very good. It's just like, it's a, it's one of those things where it's just like, that you can't top that first one, you know. Yeah, that yeah. That first one's about as good as any Lego movie can be. Yeah, like you don't even need to revisit that property, but they did several times. Anyways, um, yeah, th- this episode is really emotionally heavy, and honestly, uh, uh, you know, if if you're a a more emotional viewer, not like me who never cries at anything ever, uh, the the waterworks might be a little more present this time um, because this is directly about Katara's frustration at the Fire Nation as a whole. Uh, you know, having her trust broken by Zuko when she was the first one to like endorse him, basically, and um, getting over—not even getting over, just like accepting the death of her mother and not. Basically, murdering someone. <laughs> She's not doing murder. No, she has to. She has to go on a path of revenge to understand that she doesn't need to go on a path of revenge. Basically, yeah. You know what was the only thing stopping me from getting emotional about this one was that I just i I could not believe it was going where it was going. Like I was like I I had forgotten a lot of this one for whatever reason. Oh, I, I remembered this episode because I must remember Katara took a while to warm up to Zuko. I just I forgot all the beats it hit. And it's like Katara's just like on the fucking warpath and she fucking blood bends a guy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the first sign where like if you're unfamiliar with this episode and this is your first time watching it, I could see someone like preparing for katara to do murder yeah it's like this is um, bad <laughs> like yeah because she, spoiler alert she never does it again because bloodbending mm. uh is really fucked up you're taking control of someone's autonomy you also, know you're, you're you're crossing a line with that <laughs> also what goes unstated is she bloodbent an innocent guy <laughs> like you know what i'm saying like it, it's one thing for her to be like, all right, it's the guy who killed her mother. Like it, that makes sense. Like it, I'm not saying it's right, but it makes sense. But if, you that it, that's something understandable. Yeah, yeah, in that moment, I could see someone like even like a good person like Atara doing that, and it's like, and a sh- or a show going there even. Whereas this, it's like, oh no, she just the first guy who she assumed did it 
She's like, I'm not even going to make sure. I'm going to fucking bloodbend this fucking guy. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit. Uh, and she she goes off the deep end. Um, understandably so. I I struggle to say justifiably so. But like when you're dealing with emotion like that volatile, like I, I cannot blame her at all. Mm-hmm. But she does even turn a little harsh on Sokka. When he's like, Katara, she was my mother too. And then she says like, then you didn't love her like I did. Like that is, that's mm-hmm. cutting real deep. That goes to a very real place. And even Sokka's like taken back. And yeah, you can was... kind of feel the energy in the group being like, whoa. Like yeah. that's that's crossing a line too. She mm-hmm. crosses a lot of lines in this episode. But thankfully, not the line that she can't come back from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make the rest of the stuff okay. I'm just saying. Then- I like that they knew when to take a step back. And also, what's also great is that Zuko isn't, like, trying to be, like, the voice of reason in all of this. You know? Like, he throws out a couple things, but he's mostly, like, just like, all right, we're gonna go find this guy. Like, it's like, how do I become friends with Katara? I know. I'll help her kill a guy. Yeah, it's like, hey, you want to go kill that guy? And it's 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 hysterical because I mean that is the one comedy beat where he walks into uh um what Sokka's tent. Oh, that's so good. And talk about killing the mood. It's like not only oh does, my god, yeah. Not only does Zuko show up, which no one wants, <laughs> but uh, then he's like, hey. What happened the day your mother was murdered? <laughs> I mean, it's like Zuko's got no fucking tact, man. Like he's he's working through some stuff. He's trying to get there. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's getting there. Um, That's why he really you know. should have been kinder to May, because like she's the only one that will put up with his shit. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that, like, on all of these journeys, Zuko never tells the people he's helping how to do what they're supposed to do. He's there to assist, and with Aang, he's there to to also learn, basically, to, like, relearn who he is, but he's listening to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's never stated, but he learned that from Uncle, mm-hmm. from Uncle Iroh. And that is just really touching, you know. Even when he's like, "Katara, let's go do a murder." <laughs> so, not 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 the best. Well, again, um, it's like Zuko's got some limited experiences. So, yeah, you know. And all things considered, it's not entirely the wrong approach. Murder is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying like that this is something that she has to go through herself, and he's there to support her because he cares about doing the right thing and. As a byproduct, he cares for these people now, these friends, his, his newfound family, essentially. And that's that's exactly what you got to do when someone's going through something. You know, you, you're there for them. You you can't you can't steer the ship for them, but yeah, you got to listen. You know, I would still I, maybe Zuko just realized like, oh shit, I started stuff in motion. I maybe shouldn't have got involved in, but it's too the cart's already rolling down the hill. Like, <laughs> can't really. Can't really stop this one. Uh, but also to talk about um, how the visuals of the show, like, just, like, by this point, they just become so ingrained. One, a great moment of this is when they have the flashback to, uh, like, when their mother died. And without even saying it, 
they just show them playing, and then the moment the ashes start falling on the village, it's like we all know that means the Fire Nation's there. Yeah, that's a that's a real uh, good moment. We we it's it's always a great feeling when it's like you start off a series or a franchise where you're like, I don't know any of this shit. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. I don't know what any of this stuff is. We're, at, we're by the end, you're like, the moment something happens, they don't even need to say it. And you're like, all right, I'm there. I get it. That all makes perfect sense now. I think the perfect example of that is uh, Mad Max Fury Road, <laughs> where they just like throw you the fuck into this fucked up world. And, like, they teach you all the rules where by the end you're, like, weeping when he's, like, witness. Because he's like, oh, my God, he's it's, he's getting witnessed, but it's by them instead of fucking what's-his-face. <laughs> yeah, oh, my, I mean, that's just, like, a perfect example of everything, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, not to be boring, but, like, when people are going over, like, their best movies of the last decade, it is kind of just Mad Max Fury Road. Um, mm. That's probably the boring choice, but, like... There's not a lot of other options to match with that. Yeah, I guess. I don't trust anyone that doesn't have it in their top ten, at least. Yeah, yeah, like for real. Um, but to to go back to the Southern Raiders, there is almost like a um, a Rashomon quality to the flashbacks, like because you're getting bits and pieces. Yeah. Of how Katara's That's the mother other died, part. right? That's just fucking great. Um, yeah keep going keep going sorry no no i mean well that well that's it like it's just you you get to see everyone's perspective on it and uh unlike you know rashomon there's no lies you're just seeing like well that's each individual truth that's what's cool about it because it's done in that effect so it gets you in the feeling of like all right this is gonna be rashomon we're gonna learn that this guy didn't mean to kill her mother and or something like that you know like we're gonna learn something at the last minute and she's going to be like, oh, you know, my anger's not justified. But it's like, nope, that guy was a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, And you see that he has a miserable existence like he deserves. And even then, Katara just can't. She She's not a murderer. That's not who she is. And the episode ends with her telling Aang, like, Aang's like, oh, good. I'm glad you didn't kill him. She's like, but I, I didn't forgive him. I, I don't know if I ever can. But she's finally, like, able to kind of at least let that anger go, you know? It doesn't mean she has to forgive. And I think that's what I love so much about the writing of Katara in this series is that everyone's constantly confronted with, like, very difficult questions in the series, but a lot of her development, like, with Hakoda earlier in the season, doesn't provide her with easy answers, you know? Yeah. She's like, I'm I'm frustrated because you left. I understand why, but I'm, I'm still so mad. <laughs> because sometimes stuff, there there are no answers to stuff. You know, sometimes shit is really bad, and that's okay. You know, sometimes you just Some, got to work through stuff together. Sometimes shit just really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, is that not the slogan for this year? Yeah, just look out the fucking window, everyone. Yeah, I know, just like planes crashing, Godzilla in the distance. <laughs> no, but that would be a good year. <laughs> the, yeah, oh, yeah, the planes crashing. Oh, 2001, a better oh, no, year for America. That. That was really bad. That was really bad. I just <laughs> meant like if God, if I looked at my window and saw Godzilla, I'd be like, "Fuck yeah!" Like, let's light it up, motherfucker! Like, let's go out in a great, crazy fucking way. Like, instead, it's like I look out the window and it's just like uh, it's fucking too hot. It's slightly hotter than it's supposed to be, and that means the world's ending. So. Yep. <laughs> That's it would be much better to just see Godzilla slowly coming on the horizon. 
Would it though? Yes. Would it really? One hundred percent. It would be better. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still death. Death does not seem fun. But anyways, the yeah, point I it, wanted to make if, was uh, that if it's gonna be either or, <laughs> I, I, the point. I, would you rather <laughs> death by slow collapse of the environment or death by Godzilla? <laughs> I, I guess I'll go with Godzilla. Yeah, that's that's the only point I was making. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, the the point I wanted to make was that. The Although world must return to the monsters. <laughs> God. Well, that's the King plot. of the Monsters, available on HBO Max. Yay! Um, good, good movie, despite what people will tell you. They're also, wrong. watch uh, the original King of the Monsters, which is the American edit of Godzilla, where they awkwardly edit Raymond Burr into the film. You don't have to do that. It's great. No, but it's the great. point I wanted to make... Was that Katara can finally forgive Zuko? I'm and sorry, it's a very I, I, sweet moment. I'm sorry, I kept stepping on that. But. Yeah, I'll I'll literally kill you. <laughs> Anyways, and so uh, the episode ends when um, Aang's talking to Zuko and says like, "I'm glad Katara did not like follow the path down to murder, <laughs> basically." And Zuko goes just asks a simple question. Uh, if he's not willing to do that, then, uh, what's he going to do about his dad? <laughs> because that problem's yep. still on the horizon. And, uh, as we've seen, Zuko, unlike yeah. Aang, is pro-murder. And man, it's just great that, uh, another se- a series where Aang's never directly interacted with the Fire Lord the whole series, correct? I've heard that as a complaint about some other franchise that was like well they never interacted with the guy and it's like that doesn't fucking matter yeah i don't know i i hear that sometimes too it's like oh they only have like one fight and it's like who blade runner the confrontation between roy batty and rick decker doesn't happen to the last 20 minutes of the movie and it's like one of the best movies ever wrath of khan kirk and khan are never in the same room (laughs) they're never on screen together (laughs) like and that's, you know, also one of the best movies ever made. Oh my god, same year. What a fucking year uh, for science fiction. Yeah, like comedic example, but uh, in The Fifth Element, Gary Oldman and Bruce Willis never directly interact. Oh Which yeah. Was, I, that might have been the movie I remember someone complaining about. I'm like, no, that's what makes that movie great. Too bad that movie's made by a fucking <laughs> creep. I know, I know. And, Fuck Luke I, Besson. I love that movie. Somewhat related to Avatar with the elements thing. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. What if uh, Ruby Rod showed up in Avatar The Last Airbender? No. Actually, you know what? That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun, actually. Never mind. (laughs) Although they might fit better in um, Legend of Korra. Yeah, you're probably right. That would would be Yeah, yeah. But the last episode we're talking about today is the Ember Island Players. One of like the ultimate fan favorites all of these i've said are but like i think this one is the one that tends to nestle its way into like the top five avatar episodes and i think that's a lot of that's on the strength of its comedy and it is a very like hysterical episode um but also just like it's kind of one of the ultimate fan service thing where it's like it's a clip show episode, but it's also like the perspective of the clip show from people who, who've yeah. only heard of the the Avatar characters. They also managed to accurately predict the reception of the Last Airbender movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's? Yep. Uh, that must have been in production at the time, because that movie comes out like two years later. Yep. 
almost so, exactly two years, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty quick, and I know that that was like it took a while to get to like actually getting made, but and I believe if I remember correctly, I think they played this episode before the movie. No, I think they might have. Well, that I, just like makes it hurt even more. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, because here's something, like, I did not see Last Airbender in theaters. I I, I saw it much later, because it was just, like, one of those things where I heard how terrible it was. And I was like, alright, I, I probably shouldn't see that. And I saw it later, but, like, I remember people who went to see it who didn't know Avatar... And be like, man, they played this cartoon before the movie. They played that episode of the show, and it was nothing like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think the episode they were describing was this episode, but I could be wrong. See, I don't remember them playing this before the movie. Maybe that was just my theater. Maybe my life is just that unfortunate that I didn't get to rewatch this. Because watching this on the big screen, that would have been amazing. Um, yeah. I remember. The, I remember. We'll hold Roger, the, off on the movie. <laughs> Roger Ebert even was able to mention in his review how the casting looked nothing like the cartoon, which you know how how and how in touch is Roger Ebert with that kind of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe he watched it with his grandkids, or maybe they played that before the movie. I have no fucking idea. Yeah. You know. It just it it feels like as I remember someone being like, "Man, they played this episode. It was really funny, and I liked it a lot." And then I watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the things like you should watch the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, that's actually pretty smart. Where it's like, if you're gonna do that, where it'd be like, you got this complicated mythology, you have a movie that is gonna struggle to explain all of it. Like, even if that movie was good, it, like, you would still be leaving a lot left out. So might as well, like, do the Ember Island players, because it also doesn't spoil the end of the series. Mm-hmm. But it gives you, a, like, a good rundown of what the show is about. And it's also vague enough where, like, you don't, like, even have to, like, they don't give away too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, But no, this this is a terrific episode. And uh, the, the the jokes just, like, keep hitting, like, every minute with yeah. this one. This is a hard one to talk about because it would literally just be us being like, remember that joke? That was funny. Like, Yeah, like, yeah. It, 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 it has its, its reception for a reason. Uh, it, it's really just one of the best and most entertaining. Um, I, I guess we could talk a little bit about the character stuff because there's a little bit of stuff here. Like, uh, Sokka, Sokka seeing the moon stuff again, of course, is always heartbreaking and funny at the same time. But, like I was saying, is that this is, like, it's a fan-favorite episode. There's a lot of comedy in it. Um, it's it's basically, like, a clip show without being a clip show. If I describe this to you on paper, you totally know what this episode is, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it, and you're like, all right, it's fan service, blah, blah, blah. It makes sense. It's the final episode before the climax. It makes sense to do that. But they still manage to work a lot of great character stuff into this episode. It's still like an integral episode mm-hmm. to the series. Um, but uh, not to be Debbie Downer again, <laughs> I, have, I have some problems. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's hear it. Uh, I just I have a problem with uh, Aang's response to seeing he's being played by a woman in the, the, the play. 
Hang on, I'm looking up the writer of this episode, but go keep going, it's, keep it's, going. It's, it had like three writers. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it is, it is not our boy, yeah, quote unquote, boy, Aaron. Who, yeah, who is always the one where it's like, why does this episode? So- oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the one time where he's not to blame, I guess. Yeah, or maybe he is as the head writer. Who knows? I mean, look, I, whatever. If it, it just it doesn't really feel in Ang's character that that would be something that would upset him. You know, mm-hmm. like it makes sense when it's like when the play is like, oh, Katara, like Zuko's like, I actually love you, Katara. And Katara's like, oh, I love you, too. And she's like, I thought you were Aang. He's like, oh, how could anyone love Aang? Like, yeah. that makes sense that that would upset him. Like, that makes perfect sense. But we're talking about a kid who who dressed up in women's clothing to try and prove his innocence at one point. Yeah. So and totally was like, was cool with the terms that like in past lives, they were a woman, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this seems like someone that would be totally in touch with that sort of thing. And also comes from the air nomads who, when you look at them, it's like, not only are, like, the men bald, but the women are bald, too. They seem to maybe not have traditional ideas about gender. <laughs> yeah, they, their clothing is all very similar. It's not gendered in any distinguishable way. Yeah, it just, it, it felt like... They were trying to get some comedy out of something that didn't make sense in terms of character. You know, like mm-hmm. that felt a little upsetting. Um, also, it's you know, it's 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 more like a, a reference to how it, have you, did you ever see Peter Pan on stage? No, because like, like they that always goes around all the time. It's they always have a woman playing Peter Pan. Like that seems to be the thing. Hmm. Uh, not sure why, but that just, it seems maybe it just works better for someone who's supposed to be a forever boy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there might be but, some further reading required for that. <laughs> I yeah, guess. Ellen, Ellen Page played Peter Pan in an SNL skit. And I think, no, but uh, see, like, that that would have actually made, like, a legit good role, I think, for her, like, 15 years ago. Didn't they do that Peter Pan live? I think so. Christopher and Walken was like Captain Hook or something like that. Yeah, and he was like, delu- and of course he was walking it up. So, like, <laughs> I think that became a lot of memes. Um, speaking of Debbie Downer, uh, the actress playing <laughs> is voiced by Rachel Dratch, who does not, yeah, does not get near enough respect in terms of her comedy. No, I think the last thing I saw her in, like, that was notable was, like, a guest appearance on Parks and Rec. That's absurd. Yeah, I think she was a regular on, uh, what the fuck? Oh, she voices, oh, I was confused for a second. I was looking at her credits and she was listed as Queen Hippolyta, and I was like, she didn't play Queen, and it's like, oh, that's on an animated show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she seems to have pivoted to doing a lot of voice work, but yeah, I can't think of... She should have had a bigger career, but it just, it didn't happen, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe she just prefers doing voice work. I know it, uh, the pay's, like, if you're up there, the pay's pretty solid, and uh, it's a lot simpler she, than showing up to sets every day. She was in that Amy Poehler movie. Oh, she was? Uh, the one that Amy Poehler directed. Um, Wine Country? Uh, yeah, she was in that. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. Sorry, um, Amy. Neither, neither did I. I heard it was okay. right, so I should, that might be my thing to do. Yeah. Um, 
but she's she's hysterical. She was also, I believe, she was on the pilot of Thirty Rock, and then her character got written out. Oh, I don't remember. So, I actually watched that. I I I don't know either, but I I, I remember that being like a news story at the time. Mm. <laughs> but uh, no, Rachel Dratch is great. Debbie Down. I watch the Debbie Downer skit whenever I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's just watching, like, everyone fall apart on live air. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen more people laugh at the line, speaking of which, I can't have children. (laughs) (laughs) Which Rachel Dredge delivers while, like, laughing hysterically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That makes me so happy that even though, you know, you're expressing complicated feelings about Aang's frustration at him being a woman. Like, the idea of Aang being a woman in the play and being played by Rachel Dratt uh, does make me inexplicably happy. Yeah. <laughs> like Aang, Aang should have reacted the way I reacted, which is, holy shit, it's Rachel Dratt. She really should have had a bigger <laughs> career. <laughs> That's my fan edit. Yeah. <laughs> it's now headcanon. Yeah. What happened? Um, I do love Toph's reaction to who's playing her, though. <laughs> oh, that, that, that is one of my biggest, like, laugh out loud moments. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa, it sounds like a big muscular man. They're like, that's right, Toph. It's perfect. I wouldn't have well, casted have, it any other way. because <laughs> yeah, we have, like, that, they have uh, the break in between the uh, intermission. And Toph's like, I don't know why you guys are all upset. It seems pretty accurate to me. And <laughs> everyone's like, oh, Toph, you know, wait till you just haven't gotten yours person yet wait till you see it <laughs> it's fucking just like a giant wrestler <laughs> voiced by john dimaggio <laughs> what is the line where it's like like oh but if you're blind how do you see and it's like i i could see sound so by releasing sonic burst and just screams <laughs> in her face and she's like this is incredibly accurate <laughs> yeah. yeah that's pretty terrific uh, well, i her probably and... have that the same reaction so like <laughs> that's why Toph's the best <laughs> Toph keeps it real Toph does keep it real and uh that's why i think she and zuko have this really wonderful little moment where uh you know zuko's basically like down the dumps because his his actor, you know, when he betrays Zuko, is like, I hate you, uncle, and you smell for all time. And, you know, he's like, I might as well have said that. And yeah. Toph basically comforts him by saying that, like, you know, she 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 recounts her experience with Iroh on the road and how he gave her some really great advice and really great tea and how Zuko was, like, the only thing he talked about and how proud he was of him and how he's probably proud of him right now, even though they don't know where he is. And then yeah. she hits him because that's how Toph shows affection. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Um, the other great character moment, I, I actually do like this a lot uh, because it is also very complicated and messy and Aang is is, a, is adult <laughs> in this mm-hmm. um, where he, he's frustrated at like his, his um, interpretation in the play, but also like how he's reading too much into like what the performer of Katara is relating to her relationship with Aang to his actual relationship with Katara. Yeah, and how he's expressing that like they kissed him the day of the invasion and he thought they'd be together but they haven't even talked about anything and Katara you know saying she's like confused and like 
there's not a lot of time to think about anything else really and you can't blame her and so you know ang smacks one on her and uh she's rightfully pissed off and storms away well, I love what she's like, where he's like, you know, he sits down and they have a pretty good conversation where he's like, look, we kissed on the day of the invasion, and I thought that would lead to something, but it kind of hasn't. And Katara's like, well, I'm not sure right now. I'm still, I'm work. you're working things out, I'm working things out too. And then he, and then he kisses her, and she's like, dude, I literally <laughs> just said I don't know. <laughs> like, that was not an invitation for you to figure this out. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, we were giving Zuko shit back in the episode where he had a date on the Tales of Bossing Say, And it's like, yeah, he's not reading signs. Aang is, like, putting up imaginary signs. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Well, it's not like Aang is, like, was, it, was blatantly told, like, look, working stuff out, maybe hold it back. And then he's like, this is the moment. The time is now. <laughs> And he fucks it all up. And again, that's great. It's, I just, you can't, I can't think of a moment like that where, again, like I've seen the, I don't know, we're still like the will they, won't they shit. But that's sh- the moment where he leans in to kiss her should be the moment where it's like, you know, the kiss is like so perfect that it's like, oh, all my, all my, you know, apprehension has fallen away because I really do love you, Ang. And then she's like, no, dude, I fucking said I'm not sure. <laughs> And see, I think that's why this show has aged so well and will hopefully continue to keep aging well is because even with moments of imperfection like you've rightfully brought up over the course of these otherwise excellent episodes is that it has these characters constantly confront these things and and ask them like to ponder real difficult questions and lets them fail a lot. Not just in like the action and like the battles and the grand fantasy stuff, but like in the interpersonal dynamics, you know, like Aang is, is basically dropping the ball while he's got all this other stuff going on. And, um, it, it's his own fault, you know? Yes. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's an important message to, to also convey that like, just because he's a good guy, it's not going to be a, a home run, uh, for a relationship with the girl of his dreams, you know, like that's not how any of this works, yeah, just <laughs> even in fantasy avatar. land. Just because you're the avatar doesn't mean you just win the girl over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, pe- people have dimension in this show, mm-hmm. which is just uh, something I keep coming back to a lot, and I greatly appreciate it. And again, like we talked about, that's why it's more notable when other characters are not um, given as much. We'll say. <laughs> oh, also the uh, Sokka give some really great jokes to his actor because oh, yeah, he's literally Sokka and <laughs> and the dude just like accepts the jokes. Yeah. There's, there's some uh, improv improvisation. <laughs> and so the jokes, the jokes, jokes, the jokes aren't much better, but it's fun, which is what's hysterical to me. It's like, they're only slightly better. <laughs> and now Sokka's like, ah, they finally got it. <laughs> doesn't uh, suki sneak some backstage right yes suki has that little moment that's, that's a great that, that part made me laugh yeah again it's, this is this episode's kind of like a laugh riot yeah um, yeah and it's it's really the last calm before the storm you know yeah like th- this is it everyone's hanging out one last time basically before <laughs> I, the end game I, again I've, I've said this about many a franchise where it's like i always just kind of want the one thing where it's just like 
if I really like something, it's because I like the characters and I would love to see an episode or even like a movie of just them hanging out, you know, where there's like no world ending stakes, just like very minor stuff happening. <laughs> and that that's something I would like to see. And I'm glad that this show had it because I don't think because not too many ever really bother to try to do that, it seems. Yeah, especially right now where everything is so serialized all the time, you know. The and like there's a thing... there's a value and like a merit to that kind of storytelling too, but for fantasy specifically, I really do like when they have time to breathe like this. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of that did something equivalent to this is a uh... One of the Mass Effect 3 expansions. Oh, yeah, that's great. Where, Even, like, where, the people that hate that game are like, no, 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 that one was cool. Yeah, I'm one of the people that hates that game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're wrong, but, like, yeah, that's a great DLC. Yeah, well, one day, I gotta figure out a way for us to fucking go over fucking Mass Effect on here. Because I got, like, a whole thing about that whole franchise. Oh, my God. But... It's not the ending that's wrong with Mass Effect Three. I just want to stress that. No, I I know it's not. It, it's probably the weakest one in the series. I get what you're yeah. saying. It's not the ending. It's it's a lot of things. It's a death I, by a million cuts. No, it's not. It's kind of like thirteen cuts, but yeah, a lot. It's a lot. I bet I could narrow it down to thirteen. Remember, uh, remember. When Edie got a sexy human body, yeah, that's not great. Um, oh, that 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 was not a great moment. A lot of bad moments. <laughs> Anyways, a lot of bad um, moments. The the exact opposite of this, where it's like we're here. Like I have minor nitpicks in Aspect Three. I have like minor things I really love. The the play ends with Zuko's death. And Aang being killed by the Fire Lord. Yes. <laughs> okay, now I have to put you on hold. So go ahead and pause, and I'll be right back. All right. Sorry. All right. Record. Hold on. Pause. Yeah, Record. and besides that, um, I th- I think that kind of covers it for these episodes. Zuko's officially part of the gang. Uh, they're they're still technically floating without a paddle, but at least they have Zuko now, and. You know, you had this great comment early on and uh, in these retrospectives that Aang's goal in the series isn't just to master the four elements, it's to bring the four nations together. And, you know, that's so beautifully realized by the cultural group of Team Avatar. You know, they officially have air, water, earth, and fire together. And also a fan and sword, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to in... Next week's episode, the finale of Avatar The Last Airbender, Sozin's Comet, the four-part climax to this whole series. Um, It's a big one. Might be the biggest one out of all these retrospectives so far, at least for the the Avatar series. So, uh, yeah, Matt, anything else? Or do you want to just do plugs? No, no, I think think we're good. I'm I'm very excited. I'm sad that we're going to be closing the book on uh, Avatar, though. It's yeah, a, yeah, it really is. Revisit. And I'll, I'll definitely be revisiting it regardless. But um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah, yes. it, it is sad to say uh, to p- prepare to say goodbye to these characters. So we'll we'll see how that goes next time. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at Emperor OTN1 at Twitter.com. 
And you can find me at the Diego Crespo and check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you're going to get a sneak peek of the Last Airbender film podcast and maybe book one of Korra, depending on how we do with recordings. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Things have been going good so far. I know. It's so (laughs) weird. I'm scared. We we did we kind of we banged this whole show out in like a month, like that's impressive for us. <laughs> I I know I don't get it. I don't get how people do this every day, honestly. But whatever. Yeah. Well, so. if if we I think if we had a legit steady income from this, I could see it. I could see it being done every day. Oh yeah. Well but, then yeah, because then it would be like a the, job. Yeah, but the fact that it's still uh, our hobbies, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine trying to do this and hold down a job. Yeah, no, it's, well, thankfully right now, no one has a job. (laughs) Yes, thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. Never a better time for the United States of America. (laughs) (laughs) This might be even more depressing to listen to after the election, so who knows. Um, Hey, I'm totally, I'm I'm, I'm already like, fuck it, like... (laughs) I, I, I think I, I think know. I'm getting there, but uh, we have our own Sozin's comet to deal with, and it's called yes. climate change. <laughs> it either hit or it didn't. Uh, so that's it for this one. See you at Sozin's comet. Thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>